Blog Talk Radio. cellular phone tonight just for a little while i hope just for a little while on the way back should be home in a couple minutes but yeah the johnson tour is back we're back in todd runner johnson mode todd healing is officially over for now anyway maybe forever but uh it's a new gigs book we'll be talking about if you don't know you're out of the loop todd right. runner johnson coming That's to you coming to you on the dust oh wrong person <laughs> anyway Thank yeah you. we've got a there's a lot going on with Todd Rundgren, so we may as well just hop on into it right away. Uh, we'll be getting, actually, our guest is going to be calling in in about 15 minutes. We've got Wayman Boone on, uh, formerly in the band Splendor, but he's got a whole bunch of stuff going right now, and we'll find out more as we get closer. But in the meantime, uh, Todd is down in Australia right now. I think he's got one more date down there. It's kind of hard to tell with the clock, but he's got one on the 6th, which is to us in America, that would be tomorrow. So, and then he's going to head to Japan for a few days. And then, of course, he's going to stand in as a guest professor at the end of October at Indiana University. That's the 28th to the 31st. Now, that... um the Australia deal may be that uh, lecture deal, the one movement. Is that what he's doing now, or is, uh, is he through with the actual performances? I, I, you know, you got me. I don't know. He was doing, remember, he was doing that, that one talk down there. And speaking of the Indiana University, we are working on getting uh, the guy that was responsible for getting that set up for that faculty deal, where okay. Todd's going to be a professor for two weeks and kind of find out how that went about and uh, what Todd's going to be doing exactly and that kind of thing. So that may be as early as next week. And then, if not, we'll do the best of. If not, if we have that person, we'll do the best of the following week. So anyway, that's what we're working on. Super. That's great. Okay, yeah, now. Michelle, uh, we got Michelle uh, coming sometime soon, and Rachel Cole will be calling in too, hopefully, and we'll talk about some costume action from Todd Ealing and some other stuff Michelle has going on. So that's on the horizon as well. Right, right. Well, Todd's got some news. So if you haven't heard yet, he has announced a couple more dates in December. These will be Johnson gigs. Uh, so get ready for some blues. Hello, New York City. You're going to get him on the 7th of December at the Gramercy, which is also known as the Blender, I think. Well, it's kind of we're trying to figure that out because the, the the blender at the Gramercy, and then there's the Gramercy Theater, which uh, apparently the uh, back in 2009 they may have changed their name to Gramercy Theater, uh, but it's confusing. But anyway, it's in that vicinity. It's in the same address, 142, whatever East something, and Live Nation has I think tickets may already be available, 
And so you can find it on Live Nation if you go search Gramercy, G-R-A-M-E-R-C-Y. So, yeah. Cool. And that's on the side of New York. Ma'am? Yeah. And uh, they've been clamoring, so they got him. And also in Chicago at the Park West on the 9th of December, he's going to be whipping out the Johnson. So get to one of those places. (laughs) And if not... If you can't make it to one of those gigs, then make it to Las Vegas on the 11th of December at Red Rocks. Yeah, that's like the trifecta, because any time we start talking about gigs, New York starts wanting to know why they're not getting one. Chicago wants to know why they're getting one. The West Coast wants to know why they're getting one. And now all three are getting I guess Vegas will be considered West Coast, correct? Eh, kind of. Kind of? So there you go. There's your gigs. <laughs> you get some Robert Johnson. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we want to make a quick shout-out to the Todd Fan Street team. They're doing some hard work by clicking on Todd's MySpace, right? Well, you yeah. click on songs on there. There's five songs, and uh, they're encouraging people. They have a little street team to – well, big street team. I said little. It's like uh, – I think they got maybe as many as 100-some people doing it. And the purpose of it is is they want to have Todd rank number one in classic rock, indie classic rock, as the number one listen to artist, and they hit that, and it may still be there, but it won't stay if they don't keep getting the uh, listens. So if you want to help them out, then there you go. You All know right. what to do? MySpace, Todd Runger. It's Todd Runger Music, by the way. MySpace.com, Todd Runger Music is his official MySpace page. Very good. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, a little tour date, new tour date for Kazim Sultan. I guess this is while he's going to be over in Japan with Todd. He's going to have a a solo gig of his own on the 12th in Tokyo. So go to Kazim Info or KazimSultan.com and find out the deets on that. Really? Yeah, Interesting. I don't know if it's all in ink, so don't hold my feet to the fire on it, but um, wow. that's the word on the street. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. And also, while you're at KazimSultan.com, go check out the project for his CD cover project and get your photos sent in, and you're going to get some good swag out of that. Um, Like I said, he's got that gig on the 12th in Tokyo, and then he's going to come stateside on the 23rd and be in Joplin, Missouri, the 30th at Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey and on December 4th at the Record Collector in Bordentown, New Jersey. They're staying busy. Yeah, yeah. Great. Hey, what, what, where should we go? Oh, I just mentioned his album, Future CD. What about it? Mosaic. Well, people need to know they can still get on there. That is a project. Yeah, the project. Very good. So check it out, chasmsultan.com forward slash the project. Okay, and let's see. Groupygear.com is your place to go if you want to get any Rundgren Radio gear, T-shirts and such. They also have Podstock posters there from the movie. They have Todicus posters that Bill Bricker designed. And they've got, oh, photos of the, <clears throat> what do you call that, the Flash at the Akron show? 
that the fans did. So check that out at groupygear.com. While you're shopping, go to the toddstore.com and pick up a Todd Stock DVD. Just 25 bucks. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It'll make you feel like you're in Kauai. I'm telling you. It's awesome. Doug, you still there? Hello? Hello. There you go. Hey. Sorry, right, Now I'm on the home phone. It's all good. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, the Todd Stock DVD is great. You know, Phil Chapman, Ed Victor did a great job. Todd Store's got it. You need to get it. Isn't it great? Ugh. Yeah, I've heard good stuff, too. On the, I've seen comments on Facebook. People that didn't go have been very pleased with it. You know, they they dug it. Well, how could you not? It's it's done beautifully, and it's done in a beautiful place. So yeah. check it out. Get it at Todd's store. Yeah. And the guy, one of the guys that helped make that movie is Ed Victor. And Ed is still looking for high-resolution photographs that were taken any time during the recent Todd and Healing tour. Anytime, just hanging out with friends, uh, at the shows, at the parties, whatever you got. If you want them to be seen in a photo montage that's got music to it and everything, then try to get a hold of him on Facebook or at edvigdor at yahoo.com, and he's going to make a nice little video for us. So get them to him soon. Awesome. Montage, yeah. video montage, 13 minutes. Yeah, yeah. So he's got to have a lot of photos to fill up 13 minutes. See. So, Doug, what's going on with the photos from the Todd Stock party? Wow. The Todd Stock party photos are now available on BurtonPrinting.com, B-U-R-T-O-N, Printing.com. And they're um, even the ones that you know were a little blurry are up there. They look they look fine if you want to use them for avatars and profile photos and stuff. You can definitely tell who everybody is and all that. They're just not perfect, but they're still you know something they're still good, something to have, something fun for you. And then uh, other people have uploaded their photos as well. So um, there's a lot of you know good photos from that party, which was very fun by the way. Do they need to send, um, if they've got photos of people with Todd and Michelle, do they need to send them to him or send them to you or what? Well, there's information actually on the website with how to do that. There's a um, a letter from Digital Dave that explains the situation and what he wants you to do if you want to participate. Gotcha. How about that? I haven't had a chance to go look. I don't even know if I have any up there. So. Hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, somebody captured the moment. <laughs> I think there's several from Facebook. You're good. Okay. Good. No uh, just an FYI. I went and checked out uh, 30 minutes ago to see if the pay-per-view had been remixed yet, and I'm sad to say the answer is no. But didn't you get some good news from Chris Anderson the other day? Yeah, he said he was working on it, and he was going to, um, let's see, he was going to extend how long you could watch it. 
you know, once he gets it remixed so that people could, you know, get to see it remixed. I don't know what's taking so long, but, you know, something. Well, I guess it's a pretty big job. I don't know. But once it's once it's all said and done, I, I trust it's going to be really great, so you need to go check it out at ToddHealingShow.com, 1995. And it's great that we'll be able to see it for a little little extended time. What, do you think maybe till the end of the month or something, or what did he say? Uh, at least that, sure. And, you know, you can still go ahead and watch it. It's just not going to, it's just not going to be uh, mixed as well as it will be once Chris gets to um, finish his, his project, so. Okay. okay. But, yeah, I would, you know, you can still go watch it if you want. Some people will tell me they're watching it every day. <laughs> I guess I've probably watched parts of it probably four or five times. It's yeah, still really still, good. And you still get the um you still get the uh interview, Roy Firestone, some clips from that, not the whole thing of course, but some really good stuff from that. Uh you get the fan interviews, Cruiser Mountain are part of that and uh Doctor Toons and Joan and you know, David German was leading those and so there's uh <laughs> some uh, there's something some of the Todd Stock movie <laughs> excuse me, is on there, so it's all good. Yeah. So just give us a give him a little bit more time, and then the pay per view is going to be perfect. We just know it. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Uh, let's see. Hey, have you started Paul Meyer's book yet? I have not. Oh, I need no. to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's been delayed, by the way. There's shipping on that from Amazon has been delayed. There were a couple different emails about it, or whatever. I'm pretty confident it's October 15th. I'm, I'm not really sure why. It was delayed. It's kind of common in the book industry, apparently, but uh, it, it's going to be shipping soon. So patience is a virtue in this situation. Okay. I have seen, um, you know, some people got a hold of it early, and uh, some, I guess, reviewers, and you know, it's really been uh, receiving very positive reviews. So I think people are going to like this one. And I've even heard that it's easy for people to read that aren't necessarily technical or, or musicians, you know, that they'll Thank be able goodness. to appreciate and like this book. Yeah. So, um, what's it called? Uh, I can't think Wizard of the title of right now. And the that, studio, Wizard of True Star, and it's got uh, lots of photos in it. So you're going to have that, too. Lots of good photos. You know, different people contributed, and he bought some from different photographers. So you'll have that action if you... So inclined to buy, and it's actually like less than fifteen bucks. I think if you pre-ordered on Amazon, it's like thirteen or something. But uh, yeah, it's actually called a Wizard of True Star in the Studio. Todd Runger in the Studio, actually, Wizard of True Star, Todd Runger in the Studio by Paul Myers. So there you go. Very good. Yeah. I think we have gone through all of the announcements, and we do have our guest on the phone. Why don't we get right to it? Let's do it. And. Let's welcome Wayman Boone. Are you there? Hey there. I sure am. Hi. Good evening. How are welcome you? Good evening. Lundgren Radio. Um, thank you for having me. Oh, well, you were a little difficult to track down. I understand you don't hang out online very often. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you mean those computer things? Those computer things. That's right. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I am not part of the social network, although I, you know, I enjoyed the movie. But I am not a part of the uh, social revolution right now with all of that. So I do have a Facebook and Twitter and MySpace, but I don't use them very, very often, if at all. Well, that just means you're 
you're busy. So that's, that's a- what it means. Yes, I would yeah. try not to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, Wayman, of course, uh, the Todd people all know you as uh, the lead singer for Splendor, which was yes. a band that Todd produced back in the late '90s. But now you are doing music videos and producing bands and why don't you kind of fill us in on what you've been up to yeah it's been a it's been an interesting ride i've spent pretty much the last couple of years i've I've always been a songwriter and always been writing with other people and for bands and so in, in the last two years i've kind of become almost a aside from producing bands i've all become an almost full-time director and i direct commercials and music videos and we're um, gearing up to shoot our first film and so yeah my uh, company's called Boondock Films so if anybody wants to check it out go to www.boondockfilms.com and you're working out of Sacramento now right? Um, no now I'm actually in LA I was in Sacramento for a good amount of years which I know somewhere that um, from, my, from what I understand Todd's going to be recording there or, or did record there but um, yeah now I'm back in LA where I ended up getting a pretty nice warehouse and in North Hollywood and built a film studio and a recording studio. So we're in the midst of finishing up the construction here and just doing our doing our thing. So who have you been working with lately as producer? Um, I've been, strangely, I actually went to Mexico. There's an amazing band down there called Pressive. They're very hard rock kind of uh, deftones, a little bit of Nickelback kind of thing in there so I went down there to produce their album and I'm supposed to be going although I can't say the name of the band yet I'm supposed to be going to Nashville in a couple of weeks to go produce another album out there so it's been it's been a lot of work it's been a lot of work sort of in in between doing bands and doing videos and doing commercials we're gearing up to shoot a uh, a car commercial and an energy drink commercial so got a lot on the table it's not a country band in Nashville is it it is not a country band in Nashville. <laughs> <All right. laughs> it's not. Although, I, although you guys would get a good kick out of uh, some of the country songs that I've written of recent. So, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much wrote a country album, not for myself, but for another a new artist. That's that again. I'm I'm seeming like I'm James Bond because I can't say the names of them yet. But yeah, I've been actually writing a pretty a pretty kick-ass country album. And uh, so, music's music, and that's what I grew up on, on all kinds of music. So from R&B to rock and hip-hop to country. So if if you were to check out my iPod, it would have, you know, I'm listening to Garth Brooks on Monday, Jay-Z on Tuesday, and Fleetwood Mac on Wednesday. Wow, all over the place. It's all over the place. It's truly all over the place. Well, that's, I mean, you know, you started young. I did. Yeah. I did. I started as a, as a little kid. My mom was a disco singer in the 70s, and so I ended up spending a lot of my youth in vans, planes, automobiles, you know, trains, and sleeping in strange hotels and going to these gigs my whole life. The, the irony is that when I got older and said, I want to be a musician, my mother was very disapproving of it and very unhappy. <laughs> so, but I've been traveling around here since I was Four. I'm not sure why this wouldn't be in my blood. So. Well, the um, I'm just going to cut right to the chase because Mel told me I was misinformed. But there's a lot of people claiming that you put on your MySpace that Splendor was getting back together. But 
that is that was true and was almost true and we were just in the 12th hour of actually getting back together and making a brand new record and doing a whole tour and I'm, I think the same old problems arose before where we just had some not so Brady Bunch moments and it just didn't happen so yeah. it was supposed to happen and it was right there and the studio was warmed up ready to go and songs were being written and everything was ready to go and it just fell apart. Mm. So that's how that went down. Well, because y'all weren't together that long in the first place. Well, we actually were. I mean, we're, we're one of those not-so-overnight success stories because we were a band for about 13 years. And the last six of them, we, you know, we had a record deal and were making albums and, and touring. But, yeah, we were 13 years a band, so longer than most marriages. <laughs> Today, <that's true. laughs> with just without the sex and without the wedding ring, it's a shame. Mm. <laughs> well, I know just, that you. Yeah, you just couldn't couldn't get back together, huh? For one more. Yeah, one more just just code. just didn't quite happen. I'm yeah. sure it was very disappointing for your fans. I was uh, doing a bunch of research on you, and almost every website had something about that you guys were going to get back together right. soon. Yeah. And then like, yay! When's it going to happen? Come to my town, whatever. <laughs> I was rather excited to do it and to see the guys and to kind of get, get things started again. But who knows, maybe in the future, but right now, it never, that all just kind of went by the wayside. Mm. Well, that is too bad. That yeah. really, really is, because you guys really <laughs> seem to have a very good sound. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. Hey, Doug, <laughs> yeah. we got callers. I know. How about that? We've got a hey. popular guest here, apparently. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's see if we can get this first one on. This is someone calling 330. Oh. Okay, we're going to mute him. 330. Uh, somebody you know? Boy, Probably. A fan. <laughs> 330, area code sound familiar to you? Interesting. Cleveland or something like that? Akron, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll let them turn their computer down. I think and they were we'll, trying to play us a song. Yeah, really? Well, yeah, that's what it sounded like. Let's check in again. Hold on. Well. Yeah, somebody's having wow. a concert. Sounds like it. One-man show. Yeah, they're looking for a producer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. you got to respect that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not country. <laughs> All right. So what about next one, Cruiser Mountain? You want to take 718? Sure. You got it? I got it. Okay, 718, are you there? I'm here. What's this? Hello. How are you? Can you hear me? We sure yep. can. Hi, how are you? Mel? Great. Doug? Doing well. Everybody's good. Everybody's good on this end. Who is this? This is Doran. Oh, Wayman. Doran. How, how are you, buddy? It is I'm good. Well. <laughs> I know. Where you been? Out in Sacramento for a long time. For a long time. I know. Long. I'm so glad. I went on your spot today. Oh, you did? Um, okay. Yeah, I did. I saw the things that you produced or edited. Or, what did you do? I was you directing are and, yeah, and all directing. that kind of stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah, they're that. great. They're great. <laughs> I should you. put you in contact with a friend of mine. He's out there. He's a, a music producer, so he might okay. need you. Hey. 
Well, listen, if you ever come to New York, you better give me a call. I promise you I will. You are awesome. All right. Love you, Way. <laughs> love you too, Way. <laughs> Bye. All right. There we go. That was cool. <laughs> it's yeah, nice. she's, and hello. She's very, yeah, very cool, very sweet, and a very big supporter and a huge Todd fan as well. Yes. Yeah, cool. Well, um, you mentioned the Sacramento and Todd doing an album. He actually hasn't done that yet. I'm kind of curious what you think about it since you're a producer. The um, the idea, is, it's new, and the first person they did was Mickey Dolan's, but it's Gigatone Entertainment. Right. What what they're doing is they they have their own studio and everything, and they're mm-hmm. getting these musicians to come in, and then other musicians or fans or whoever wants to can buy this three-day pass camp deal and they can be part of the album or at least watch it be made and produced and everything. It's kind oh, of a different way of doing an album, but, you know, I guess I assume they're, you know, going to do distribution and everything for this album. Todd's going to do covers of songs he produced, so it may end up being a Splendor song on there. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> very different concept. So right. uh, what do you think about something like that? Well, I think that I think that's cool. I mean, I, I know the guys over there, uh, Mitch and the guys over at Gigatone. Um, for a little while after Splendor, I, had, I was in another band called Head Rush, and they had another label, and we were uh, working with them for a little bit. They're always trying to work outside of the box, which is good, you know, and trying to figure out different ways of doing stuff. And certainly Todd is never shy to find another creative way to, you know, kind of work on his music or sell his music, and I think that's awesome. I mean, that that's for a fan, that is the ultimate gift. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of, it's you know, a lot of, fans it's out of their price range but once you can go are real excited about it and it is yeah. a different way of doing it you know it's definitely it's a definitely unique way of doing it yep with uh little to no record companies actually out there trying to you know get things going on with with bands it seems like anymore except for a few and few and far between that's true. That's true. I mean, it's, 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 look, the music industry is a different world right now. I mean, I, I had a very deep conversation with the, the vice president of, a, of, a, of one of the, you know, one of the big, the big five and, uh, about two months ago, and he was telling me how, you know, right now, if they put out a record and they sell 100, their target number is 100,000 records. If they sell mm-hmm. 100,000 records, they consider it a success. And this is a wow. huge, huge label. And he's like, you know, three years ago, if that had happened, I would have been fired. So you've <laughs> got to find a whole different way. I think it's pushing everyone. to. It's pushing a lot of the bigger labels to not feel so important. Mm-hmm. And it's empowering all the smaller people and independents to kind of rise to the the challenge of figuring out a different way of doing it because we've got so many mediums. I mean, I think even myself, I watch right now, even as a director and getting into films and loving all this stuff, all of the movies that I rent, I only rent stuff for my iPhone. So I realize, well, I'm not going to Blockbuster. I'm not even buying it in a store. I'm I'm just downloading it from iTunes and watching it on my phone. So I guess... The, the trick of it is now to find new, fancier ways for your phone, you know, or something. You're, yeah, you're the reason Blockbuster went out of business. I'm, I'm single-handedly the reason. Well, they needed to go out of business anyway because I don't understand. Not to, yeah, they're, they're going to be done all, all of them that way. Well, you know, when I think about something like that, I mean, it's, it's a shame because it's kind of a fun thing and it was a family mm-hmm. thing, but the whole idea that Blockbuster wouldn't be at the forefront of being like a Netflix or being mm-hmm. is kind of strange to me. So most people must have known the tsunami was coming and just chose to ignore it. Now yeah, they well, pay same for thing it. in the music. You know, Todd's always said, you know, they Napster and these things beat them to it, and they still tried to fight them. 
Yep. And now it's the standard pretty much now rather be absolute, in these types yeah. of places. They, they, the big five, as you mentioned, probably are the ones that were fighting it at first. And some of them still do. I mean, right. Warner Music Group, you know, will shut you down if you put a YouTube up with any music that they own, even That's if right. it's just a clip, you know, or something. Well, and uh, so some of that still goes on. But, I mean, the stuff that you're doing for these, um, like for this the artists that can't be mentioned, I mean, are these mm-hmm. with record companies, or are you kind of doing yeah. it, are they hiring you as individuals to it's, do that? It's, or a com- it's a combination, you know what, it's a combination of both. I mean, at the time, it's funny, when we did our record, the the way that it was, the way our record deal was structured with Todd, which was almost unheard of at the time, but now it's pretty standard, but at the time it was unheard of, is that Columbia Records, normally when you make a record, the label will pay for the producer, pay for the gear, pay for your food. And the way Todd had worked, excuse me, the way Todd's sort of deal structure worked was that he just got the budget, period, as a one-stop shop, and he paid for the food and the, the things, and so he kind of took the reins on the budget. Now, something like that is pretty standard now, but revolutionary at the time. It was crazy to, you know, it was a big deal for a label to do something like that. So I think, yeah, now with the with the artists that I work with now, some of them are independent, some of them are on labels, It's but it's a strange time because even when they're on labels, it still has a, a, an independent feel because they're so scared, you know, <laughs> the, conf- the confidence is gone now. So yeah. everyone's nervous and everyone's trying to figure out. I mean, you're always going to have a couple of Lady Gagas in the world, but for the mm-hmm. most part, things are so unstable that now the bigger heads are a little bit nervous. They're all trying to figure out what to do and where to go and where to look. You know, some of the big bands are canceling tours or not doing as many sales and. It's a different time. People can just sit at home and watch it all. You know, you can even watch a live concert from home. Yeah, so I, you know, I've read today. Even the, the, uh, this is not music related, but the NFL numbers are down. And my theory is that you know people are comfortable watching it on these TVs. They're on all the TV, in absolutely. In high <laughs> in high definition, and see it even better than when they go. Yeah. Well, now this may be off on the timeline, but with Todd's deal with producing y'all's album, was that? Kind of related to the fact that you won the Battle of the Bands? Is that why he it was done differently, maybe? No, no, not at all. It was, it was done differently because everyone was such a fan of Tots. And so it just worked out. Our A&R guy um, was very much pushing for us to work with Todd to make it happen and to, to make a deal happen. And so they were willing to bend the rules, their corporate rules. I mean, Columbia Records, you know, one, one of the biggest labels in the world, was willing to bend <laughs> for Todd to do it their way. Now, it, like I said, it's a, it's a standard way that a production company or a producer will just get a budget and make it a one-stop shop. That's absolutely the way it's almost always done now. But at the time, it had been unheard of, so it was a huge risk for the label to do and a huge risk for us. To, well, we didn't know any better because it was our first album, so we didn't really know how it <laughs> was supposed to work. But we later found out how, you know, the good parts and the bad parts of doing records that way. Well, that was the first album that Todd had produced for close to 10 years, I think. He'd done the Pursuit of Happiness before you guys. So obviously he was turning down uh, producer gigs. So it was something that he must have liked about you guys. Do you have any insight into that? Well, I mean, I can only go by his words. Whether they were true or not was that he dug the songs. And so... You know, he had told me many times. Originally, actually, I'm proud of myself for saying no. But originally, when we first had met him, which is which is a really bizarre story. But when we first 
um, met him, we were asked to go to Hawaii to go and make the record where I don't know if he still lives there, but he was at the time. And so we said, no, I, I, you know, I said, no, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave too far, far from the nest. And I, wa- I didn't actually want my band to have too much of a good time on the beaches of Hawaii and not focus on making a record. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's actually and, where he does live. And he just had the New York Dolls go out there when they did their uh, album, uh, recent album that came out uh, last really? year. Okay. Um, so yeah, he does still live there, and he does, he does want to do you know some producing out there. But anyway, you said a bizarre story. Those are our favorite. Why don't you tell us that? Oh yeah, I can, I can give you plenty. But the, I think uh, this, I think the strangest one of the cool things that was strange but cool was it was odd. I mean, I guess that's what I became also. But it was odd to go be able to, to see your producer perform. So that was just a strange thing to begin with. That here's a producer, here's a guy we've never met, we want to meet him, but we have to go to his concert first. That was just kind of a strange but cool experience, and we went to see like him play with Cheap Trick, and then we saw him play somewhere in Connecticut, and it was an amazing show. But I still remember sitting in the lobby, it was, it was the band, it was our A&R guy, it was our manager, and we're just sitting, <laughs> we're just sitting in the lobby, and there's all these Rundgrenites, which were just strange hippies. That's how I described them, just strange <laughs> no. Hippies on a on a trip to Mars. Yeah, thank. Hey, we so, resemble that statement. No. <laughs> and so we're sitting in the lobby, and then Todd comes down, and, I, and he had his assistant, a very nice woman. I don't remember her name now, but his assistant took or a manager or something brought him down. He comes out of the ele- the elevator, sunglasses on, and they shuttle him to I guess another area in the hotel. And all the hippies are standing there disappointed because he's, he's, he's fairly rude to his fans. And it's almost his thing. They, uh, in fact, um, the woman that just called in before, he was rather rude to her. But they, <laughs> met. But, but they, uh, it's, it's kind of his thing. So we're sitting there and we're just going, okay, what's going on? It's before the show. And then the assistant comes over and looks at us and very calmly and in a, with an almost Japanese feel said, Todd. We'll see you now. And so he said, okay, and we kind of got a, went over and got shuttled to his table and sat down, and, and it was all very odd and all very strange and uncomfortable, but cool, but, but weird. It was, you know, it's our first record. We're brand new to this whole business of music, and it, it, was, a, it was kind of a, a very huge moment. You know, I, I remember other moments in my life, like when I first sat down at a table with Clive Davis, and it was like meeting the Godfather. You know, it was just a very <laughs> weird. I was expecting to be yeah. whacked off somewhere and just, you know, <laughs> shot in the head and thrown in the ditch. It was very mafioso kind of meeting, and meeting Todd was sort of the same, sort of the hippie version of it. And then he, it took him a little bit of time to warm up to us because he had his defenses up a little bit. But then he was cool, you know, then he was cool and he was down to earth and just talking about music and we seem to have a lot of in common and he's very much into computers and technology and the, the whole side. I think, I think the only problem that we ever had with Todd was when we actually had to make a record. Because <laughs> once, once we were told, okay, the deal is done, they're going to do this strange deal with Todd and, you know, Splendor's going to be his first album in 10 years, the, the, um, I started to get inundated with faxes sent from friends from uh, from label people from management it was all these different interviews or commentary on what it was like to make a record with Todd 
So some of the guys in XTC, some of the Pursuit of Happiness, it was all these different things, and some of them were just really crazy, aggressive, tragic kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> and then later on I realized that we were one of them. So we, uh, yeah, because we've had a lot of those people on. We've got all the stories. We haven't got yours yet, of course. But, well, yeah. I mean, my story, I realized in the end, blended right in with the rest of them because we, we yeah. definitely had a very hard, angry, negative experience of making the record, absolutely bar none. And what most people don't know about our record is that we actually fired Todd. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know this. Well, yeah, we actually fired him from making the record. That's something actually I, I don't know if I've ever said, but for such a long time we had to not talk about it, and it was such an important thing. But, yeah, I'd say that record took about six months to make, and we fired him about three months, in, uh, three weeks in. Wow. So we you didn't really yeah. produce your record. Well, I did in the end. And what we what we had to do that was just it was I think what it was and what I realized was we went to we went to Woodstock to make this record or Bearsville which is right next to Woodstock huge studio out there and they had three or four studios and one of the studios was this sort of video studio that Todd used to own or something I guess he used to shoot music videos there so yeah, Utopia this, Studios okay yeah uh-huh. the Utopia Studios was this huge almost Abbey Road kind of gymnasium. And there's a big window up top and a staircase that leave very Abbey Road, so there's very much a Big Brothers watching you kind of feeling. And the things that were great that I never forgot working with Todd, the things that were actually awesome was he's very fast, he's very to the point, and he's no BS. So I've actually incorporated that in my life and my work ethic ever since working with him because you know, this may seem, you know, maybe it doesn't sound strange to you, but when you first get to a recording studio, there's a lot of time you got to spend to get your sounds up, to get your engineer ready, to just to get things ready to go. Because at the end of the day, when you're making a record, it's forever. It's not for now. And so in his case, we got there in the afternoon and we were tracking that same night, which is pretty much unheard of when you're talking about doing you know, a very expensive record on a on a major label, especially at the time. And so he had explained to us in in a in an earlier dinner he had explained how he has ADD or ADHD or TNT whatever all the other initials are <laughs> for it and that he would <laughs> and for that we shouldn't feel bad if he didn't pay attention to us ah. so we thought well that's that's odd that but mm-hmm. if you know this is new to us i haven't worked with a producer before that's his gig and at least he was up front and told us so we said, okay. So we get to the studio and everything's getting ready to go. We set up and the bands were, you know, that record is genuinely not like I'm not making it up just for sort of sort of uh, bravado, but we genuinely recorded the music. I mean, the musicians in Splendor were awesome. So we genuinely recorded that stuff in together live. And I would sing later on, but the band would play together. And we would keep all the takes. And the drummer was awesome and everything was just, you know, was just on point, the way records are really not done right now. And so we're in this circle and we're ready to play live and everything's plugged in, ready to go. And there's Todd, as he said, with his feet up on the console. We couldn't see his face, just his, just the soles of his feet, with a laptop on one side of his feet and a, and a magazine on the other side of his feet. And then he would say, okay, Let's play. And he'd press record, and we'd hear, the, you know, that time we were using some reel-to-reel tape, and it would start spinning. We'd see his feet up. 
We'd see him typing into his computer, and then we'd see him flipping through a magazine on the other side. And so we, we would finish the song, the song would end, and then there would just be silence. And the four of us, you know, we're nervous. We're looking at each other going, okay, was that good? Was that bad? <laughs> Always see our feet. Never see his face. Hmm. And we go, uh, I tap the mic, and I would go, Todd, did, did that, was that all right? And then he took his feet down to present his face for the first time, and he pressed the button, and he said, does that sound good to you? And I go, uh, I, I, I guess. All right, then let's move on. And his feet would go right back up on the console, and the laptop would start clicking, and the magazine would start turning again. And we were just crapping our pants, going, okay, maybe we should just do it one more time. So we ended up doing it another time, and that's pretty much how it went. But we just assumed, well, we don't know the difference, and uh, this is how it is. And, and then it was kind of interesting because there would be these strange hippies that would just, they would meander into the studio to worship him like a god. Really? It was just odd. They would just travel like it was the Mecca to come, and, and, and he was always so rude to them <laughs> that we just got a kick. I mean, we almost got a we, we truly did. We actually got a kick out of seeing how rude he would be because they would never take it as they were almost used to it. So they would never take it as rude. They would just absolutely love him even more for it. Oh, so, so like uh, he would tell them to leave or just tell them what? He wouldn't, no, I would usually tell them to leave because <laughs> – they would. They were kind of. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm not someone that ever has. I've never been high a day in my life. I've never touched a glass of alcohol. I'm. I'm not a Buddhist by any means, but it just worked out that way. So I'm not a prude either. But at the same time, once we sort of started, I didn't want all these super high, drugged up, crazy hippies just hanging around like stray dogs. <laughs> you know, we, we were also afraid that they would come and take our studio. We had heard that story of years before in Todd's life where he had been kidnapped, or not kidnapped, but uh, robbed, um, yeah. and tied up, and, you know, they took all of his stuff, and we didn't want that following us. And we're from New York, from the Bronx. We were like, just stay out. You know, we'll, we'll close the door. And guys? He'll come out and insult you when he leaves. Now, was it all girls, or was it girls and guys? It was both. It was definitely oh. both. It made me, you know what it made me think of? I don't know if you've ever saw like any footage of John Lennon or John Lennon Imagine, and he's sort of at a park, and there's a homeless guy that's just talking to him about how he, he changed his life, and, and John takes the time to kind of talk to him and say, you know, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a god, I'm just a man. You know, it was just a band, and that was, that was it. So it, was, it felt a lot like when I saw John Lennon do that, only he was rude to them, and they loved it even more. Well, you know what we call that? We call that quirky in Todd fandom. Quirky. Okay. Well, then I'll call it quirky. At the time, we just called Sadism, it rude. Sadism and masochism. We... Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so so as... this goes on for three weeks? So this goes on for three weeks, and what had happened was we were staying. There's a very a great mixer and producer named Bob Clear Mountain. did all the Pretenders records, worked with Aerosmith, and he had a huge house in Bearsville where the band would stay. And so, of course, being the lead singer and being the biggest ego, I made sure to get the master bedroom. And one day we were, we were sitting in, the, in this house. This is within the first week of being, it being there. And this little Irish cleaning lady is cleaning up the house, and I'm all wide-eyed, and I'm going, hey, this house is amazing. And she goes, oh, you know, thank you very much. And I said, you know, does Bob, are, are we the first band to stay here? 
And she goes, no, Bon Jovi stayed here. She's naming, naming all these bands that stayed there when they were recording. And I said, well, what about Bob himself? Does he live here or does he just live in L.A. or somewhere else? She goes, no, he's got like three houses, but he's supposed to be coming here in two weeks. So I thought, well, that's weird. Unless I'm sleeping with Bob, I'm sleeping <laughs> in his bed. <laughs> but that's okay. So I remember running back to the band and going, hey, I just talked to the cleaning lady, and she just said that, Bob's going to be here in two weeks. And the band, we just kind of blew it off. Like, oh, you know, maybe she has her dates mixed up. And to make a long story short, we pretty much realized that what, what had happened was we were on a timeline crunch that we were not aware of because we were supposed to be there for about two and a half months making this album. But Todd had sort of rented the studio and the equipment and the car and everything because, remember, he was holding the budget to do it as a its own unique way. Mm -hmm. So we realized that everything was being taken away from us in a very short amount of time. So about two weeks in, sure enough, Bob Clearmountain did come back to his house, and we were shuttled to live across the street from the studio and sleep in an office on cots from our mansion <laughs> and That's sleeping on nice cots with no bathroom. Okay. This is an absolutely true story, unexaggerated true story. <laughs> We're sleeping on cots with pinball machines in this office that has no shower and barely a working toilet. And the car was taken away, so we had to walk across the street to the studio. And so finally, the, the last straw, which, which kind of ended the entire album, really, was it came time to do vocals. And I admit, I take a long time. I, I'm very proud of myself as a vocalist, but I take a long time to get it right. And so the day comes, we're finally going to do vocals, and I go down, it's just Todd and I, and we go down to the vocal booth, and I go down to the pit to stare up at the window with the feet, and we, he rolls up the tape, and we start with a song. Um, there's a song on our record called um, Space Boy. And so we start with this song called Space Boy. And usually the way it works, I mean, if you're not a singer, we're starting at noon. That was the other weird thing, too, because we only you, – you, usually when you make an album, you can work 24 hours a day. But our hours were only noon till 6 p.m. And then Union or that something. was it. We'd start at noon. We'd be done at 6. And that was it for the entire day because then Todd had to leave to go back to his condo or whatever it is he was doing. But we could only work from 12 to 6, which was – well, ludicrous. And so on this day, we start at noon, and I'm drinking my water, and I'm trying to warm up my voice because I'm all full of phlegm, and we roll up the tape, and he says, okay, go ahead and start. Now, normally when you start, you're singing to see the vocal level, how loud the mic is, set the compressor, get everything ready to go. So I sing through the song once, and then the feet come off of the console and says, okay, what's the next song? And I said... I said, well, whoa, whoa, hang, hang on. I, I, I didn't even sing the second or third verse. I was just warming up my voice. I didn't even sing the right lyrics. He's like, oh, you're so difficult. <laughs> Let's do it again. So I said, okay. And, I, you know, obviously the sirens are going off, and I was like, all right. So the, we roll up the tape again. We run. I sing the song through one time from beginning to end. And then he's like, okay great, what's next? And I was like, well, Todd, there's harmonies and <laughs> there's other vocals and there's a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> that we need to do right now. <laughs> and he just said, no. He was like, no, let's do the next song. So I said, listen, 
There's no chance that we're doing another song right now. We're making an album, our debut album, for Columbia Records. Believe me, I didn't just nail the vocal in one take at noon. So we need to do this again. Ah, artists, so difficult. So we, we go back, and now we do it my way, and which is basically we spent hours and hours doing the song, getting all the nuances right, getting all the harmonies in, making sure the lyrics are working, finish the song, and by six, and then he gets into his car and drives off, and I drive back to the to the cot, pissed off, and we <laughs> to go and sleep on my cot. And while we're sleeping on the cot, I'm, I usually what I usually do is I'll listen to the song that night, and then the next day I'll come back and I'll listen and make a few, a few changes the next morning before starting the next song. So that's what happened. So now it's Tuesday. I come back for day two of vocals. And we start, and I said, hey, Todd, you know, I just, I need to finish something I did wrong last night. And he said, all right, all right. So we fixed it in about 10 minutes, then we started the second song, and which is a, the first song on that record called um, I Don't Understand. And so now I'm standing at the mic, exact same thing, let's record. He presses record, it's noon, I sing the song one time, and then he says, okay, great, what's the next song? And But this time, I can hear the reel-to-reel tape spinning, meaning he's taking the song off the, 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 off the machine altogether right now. So there's no chance for debate. And this was a newer song on the record, and I hadn't even really finished all the lyrics. And there was parts where I just said, can you turn up my headphones <laughs> in the song? Oh. And oh. I don't know. It just kept uh, – apparently we were done with the song. So – for my first and only time that I can remember in my entire existence on this earth, I had the world's, just like all the articles I had read about XTC and all of these other bands, I basically threw off the headphones, put down my guitar, because I have a weird thing where I have to sing with the guitar, threw the guitar on the ground, ran up this giant flight of stairs, and proceeded to try to punch Todd in the head. Wow. And so, <laughs> you may have exciting stories. They won't be better than Wayman Boone. Oh, this this is this is so. We well, were there any hippies present at the time, or was there were no time? hippies present at okay. the time? It was just he and I in this large studio, which he owned. And I began to then we chase him around the console in the attempt to end his life, and. <laughs> <laughs> He's yelling back, what's going on here? This is just craziness. And so finally we kind of stopped both ends of the turn, and I was behind the desk, and he was in front of the desk, and I calmed down and tried to catch my breath. And I gave him my biggest Obama speech that I could possibly ever give of explaining that I realized that the way things had worked was that we were told and the label was told and our A&R people were told that we were going to spend the next 10 weeks making a record, but that instead the house, the studio, the car, everything in there was only booked for four weeks. And the, the intention was to finish the whole record in four weeks and then he would get on a plane and go back to Hawaii. But unfortunately, I wasn't going to let that happen and proceeded to then tell him off in my most vulgar, which I can't repeat, 
but I can I can <laughs> I can sort of paraphrase PG paraphrase and explain that he needed to get the bleep out of the studio before I kicked him till he died, and <laughs> we, and that I was aware that the financial strains and what was going on and the fact that we're sleeping on a cot and we don't have a vehicle and we can't even walk anywhere to, to buy food we can't take a shower so that he could keep the budget. Because remember, he got all of the budget. So the quicker we did the record, the more money he would make. Sure. Well, what did other bandmates think about this? I mean, they weren't there, I guess, when they were doing vocals, or were they? Well, the only person that ended up coming to bear witness to this was while I was standing behind, trying to calm down behind the the mixer, um, my manager actually physically walked into the room behind Todd, and and Todd didn't see him, and I waved him off, meaning, like, we're going to have this out right now. So my manager went and stood behind the door and just listened for the next hour and a half as I went crazy and told him off like a psycho nut. Me being the psycho nut, that is. So the Obama speech was an hour and a half? It was an, it was a, probably about two hours, and he came in after the first half hour, and I pretty much told him that if he didn't pick up his stuff and get out of the studio, I was going to beat the crap out of him. Because at the end of the day, this was a job for him, but this was my life, and I wasn't going to let anybody stand in the way of us getting done what we needed to do. And vocals are one of the, if not the most important part of any album, as any artist or producer will tell you, and I wasn't going to, I was going to fight for it, and I was going to fight him for it if I had to. But that's and so, good. I mean, it's your face that's going to be on the cover of that Absolutely. Record. It's my face that's going to be on the cover. It's my name that's going to be standing there, and it's going to be my band on a stage trying to promote this and trying to sell this to this record company, and you only get one shot to get there, and I wasn't going to allow anyone to take that away from us. It was, now, it was harder for me to chase him around because my back was hurting so much from the cot, but... <laughs> this was his, was this his studio though? You're kicking this him out, was his, kick him this out of was his, his studio. studio. Yeah, we, we were the we oh. were we were the last people to record there because pretty much what happened was we then had this bizarre I think to make peace because our A and R guy was so freaked out at the time because the band could have got dropped, he could have lost his job, we gave away all of the budget, so we kind of tried to hide everything that I just said to you so that Columbia Records wouldn't find out and make trouble for us because they had just given all of the money to Todd. And now we had none, and the, 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 the bratty lead singer just threw him out. So he actually ended up running out of the studio, getting in his car and running, physically running out, before I could beat him. And what we, what we did, I mean, I could, luckily I can laugh now because anyone that knows me, I'm a very nice, non-confrontational person. The last thing I'm ever going to do is fight. But this was my, most, my moment in my life, in the history of my life. That's one moment I know I stood, stood up for myself. To you make just lost this. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we did this weird thing to make peace so that the label wouldn't know, is that Todd would come in every day to the studio from about – 10 in the morning till 12, 15. Mm-hmm. And then once his car had left the parking lot, he couldn't even be in the parking lot, then the assistant engineer would call me, and at about 12, 16, I would walk, because <laughs> we didn't have a car, I would walk over to the studio and start finishing the album. And I would stay there from 12, 16 until 5 in the morning. 
and we never knew what Todd was doing between 10 and 12 because we weren't recording anything with him. So mm. we don't even know what he did during that time. And that lasted for about, I'd say, maybe a week until he got on a plane and went home, and then they pretty much snuck me into another studio in Manhattan, and I ended up working with this engineer named Luke Eben, who became a really good friend, and he actually went on to become a great producer. He did all the last couple of Bon Jovi records and the whole It's My Life Return Bon Jovi records and, and you know, have a really good time. But I ended up doing the record for spending the next five months hidden in the studio like a prisoner because no one was allowed to know that we were there or that went on. Well, so who, so, who took you there, though? Who, our, our label, our A&R guy did. Okay, so, so what was uh, Todd's manager get involved in this at all? No, at that point, the management was gone. They had sort of had enough. And we, our managers were helpless because we, you know, it usually what money is, is usually the negotiating power, but the money was all gone. It was all given so that we had no leverage. He had all the money. So we had absolutely no, nothing to hold, to hold him for or hold him accountable for. So it, what we ended up having to do was our label guy ended up having to get and sneak more money, not a lot of money, but to sneak more money to let me finish by myself in the studio for months and months. He was able months. to get it from Columbia? He was able to sort of siphon it out of Columbia without ever letting them know that we had fired Todd and that he wasn't there. And and then the irony, too, was I wasn't allowed because the contracts were signed and because this was a huge secret, an untold secret for the label. I wasn't allowed to even get any credit on the album as a producer, as, as anything. Oh, boy. <laughs> so uh, it was an interesting, I have to say, wow. it was an interesting story. It is a bizarre experience. story. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, um, I'm not, I don't know if I want to ask this question or not, but uh, someone in the chat room, I'll just blame it on them, is asking, uh-huh. so uh, what do you think of Todd or Todd's production work now? Well, he, here's, here's, here's what I was saying. I, honest to God, I feel like I did learn a lot from him because he likes to keep things very simple. And I do the same thing to this day. As far as his production, his stuff is awesome. I think it, it is. His stuff is awesome. He's an amazing singer. He's a great songwriter. He's incredibly talented. I, I actually had to go and make peace because, as you can imagine, there was a truckload of anger and it was very difficult to do so many interviews and meet so many bands and get so many compliments for, about a record that <laughs> that went down the way it went down. But what we ended up doing was later on, about a year later, our their same A&R guy had sort of arranged a, a peace offering and we went, the band went down to go see Todd do sort of a one-man show. I think it was Long Island, actually. He played some theater. And as usual, he was absolutely amazing because the guy is a legend as far as being a performer and a singer. And we actually had to, you know, sat down and had dinner, and they made sure that the two of us sat by, you know, next to each other for the meal. And it was all fine. It was all, it was all, it was all good. You know, I didn't have any problems with it. But I would say to answer that main question, I think his production skills are, are great. It was just always weird to the band you know, we read a couple of reviews where it's like Spin Magazine saying, you know, that they can hear the Rundgren sound on the Splendor album, and we always just kind of laughed and said, well, I suppose. 
But really, at the end of the day, and until he got the the physical record, he hadn't even heard all the songs that were even on it. Well, did he he participate on some of it though? Maybe he did. You know. He absolutely did. No, he absolutely over did. Did you use some of the stuff? Say, say that again. Did you use some of the stuff, or did you start completely over? No, we used we used all of the stuff, all of the basic stuff. The the drums, I believe, the drums were all done by the time he left because we had, we had recorded everything very quickly as far as the basics. Some of the stuff that he did that was fun, and I suppose you you know maybe this doesn't sound like it's that interesting, but it was really fun at the time where he would because myself and another guy named Jonathan were the two guitar players. He put me in front of one of the large speakers, put Jonathan in front of the other large speaker, and say, "Okay, you have one take to record this song. If you're any good, impress me." Mm. And so we had to just speed press record, and we just have to play the song like it was a concert, and not make any mistakes because he wasn't going to fix anything when mm-hmm. it was done. So stuff like that was still a learning experience, and, and little bits of things that I still do to this day. And I remember that um, because he, what we had to do, because he was so not interested in all the extra stuff, my, the guitar player and I would have to come in earlier than noon, and which was hard for musicians, and try to work on our sounds and work on our things and work on all the extra stuff because we only had five hours to work. So it, it was, <laughs> we had to pick which, which direction to take for this next five or six hours before, as he put it, the risotto was being baked. Mm. That's how he put it, because he was yeah. always making risotto. So by 6 o'clock, he had to go and make the risotto. Mm. So I don't know if he ate risotto every day for three weeks, but that certainly became the impression. <laughs> well, now you said earlier, though, that you liked the fact and you used the fact that he was quicker. Now yeah. that you're producing yourself and, and you're older than you were back then, mm-hmm. if you had a... a, a a clone of yourself at that age, I guess you were probably, what, how old were you back then? 25? Uh, and then a kid comes in and wants to spend all day doing vocals. Are you going to let him do that, or are you going to say, we've got to speed this up? It's a, You know what? In, in fairness, it's a combination of both. I can tell you that I've never worked with any singer, and I've even w- worked with or watched some of the biggest. I've never seen any of them do it in one take. <laughs> one take beginning to end. But there's a compromise. There's a there's a compromise. There's also the difference, though. What's 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 interesting to me is that there's also a difference because of the tools. Of now, we weren't auto tuning everything. We weren't pro tooling everything. You were singing it. So even though all those things were available, it's not like um, the record was done so long ago that we didn't have pro tools. But Todd didn't use any of that stuff. So we we didn't have any of those things available to us to try to help speed things along like we do now. I think it's a combination of both. I think that, that when I work with a singer right now, I give the singers, I don't give the bands as much time as I give the singers the, the most time because the voice is the most important thing. Or maybe I'm still trying to make up for what had happened 10 years earlier. <laughs> and you're make kind of, sure that the singers yeah, get the time. because you're a singer a little bit. you know. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, so they get a little slack. They get more slack, exactly. Now, do you have any singers that come in and have to hold a guitar? Uh, I haven't met any. I think I was the only one. uh, Habits that any of them have that they have to do while they're singing? Yeah, you know, I I actually saw um, some footage of Keith Urban doing it himself, and he had the guitar on while he was singing. But that's the only person that I've seen that actually had to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm unable to do vocals unless I'm holding the guitar. Strange, and and what's even more strange is that I have to make sure 
when you're singing in the vocal booth that my that my guitar that's not plugged in is in tune because I kind of play along while I sing and sometimes that comes in on the microphone so it needs to be in tune. But no, he, that was the first time I, I I developed that and I kind of haven't let that go ever since. What if the song's not supposed to have any guitar in it, like it's a piano song or something? You ever heard um, any of those? Or I guess well, not. I didn't actually. We didn't have any of those. So <laughs> we had some songs that maybe had an acoustic instead of electric, but we didn't have any songs that didn't have any guitar at all. So I don't know what I would do. That maybe I'd have to bring a bongo in. <laughs> I'd have to do something. So, what was the you? Um, did you have your next album was produced by Clive? No, our next our next record ended up being produced by a guy named Mark Ender. And Mark Ender, we signed with Clive Davis for, at his label, but we ended up doing a record with Mark Ender, who's a great guy and a great producer. He did everyone from Vertical Horizon to Fiona Apple. He did the last couple of Maroon 5 records. And he's, a, he's just he's a great guy, great producer. So we, we, we definitely, it was not an option for us to do a second Splendor record doing it with Todd. It was not on the table. Sure. <laughs> that wasn't ever on the table exactly. Well, but, I, you know. Was a totally he was totally different in how he did it. He oh. was complete. It was it was the polar opposite because he, whereas Todd could work and get and move you through things in thirty seconds or less, um, Mark is the polar opposite. He'll take a week to do one vocal if he has to. Ooh. So it was it was an extreme uh, on both ends. I mean, even working with Mark was was an, a, an, an opposite extreme because everything took too long rather than just right so because i think our second record our, if, uh, took roughly about 14 months to do which is pretty Lord. insane when you think about yeah. only recording 10 songs mm-hmm. so it, that's just to give you you know i i took up more water skiing water polo tennis and <laughs> mountain climbing during the you, if you're going to do like today for example if you're going to if you're now goal the goal record, I sell hundred thousand right records. now. You can't afford yeah. to do a fourteen month record, can you? No, you can't. Yeah. You can't. There's no, no nowadays. There's no money. There's no. I mean, even Maroon Five, you know, spent a few months in Switzerland doing their their record. There's no such thing now as going and spending that kind of budget, that kind of money. That that's all all over with now. Yeah. I'd say now it probably is going to take you anywhere from four to eight maximum. Probably more like four to six weeks mm-hmm. is the expected time of having it done and finished. And if you're doing it really indie style or a, a little indie label, they'll probably want it done in three weeks. Wow! So, so can you get that done now? Yeah, absolutely. It's a different world now. I mean, now you know the way that I kind of built my studio and and really built my skills was my whole studio became portable. Everything's in road cases. I can just sort of show up working with a band now. I just kind of, you know, we we went and did a, an album in Morning View in, in Malibu uh, a couple months ago, which was a, uh, a Morning View where, like, Incubus did the Morning View album. It's a huge mansion that's right on the water in Malibu. And I just pack up all my gear, put it all in there, open it up. Everything's really just sort of plug and go. And I can probably get these records churned out within a month, maybe five weeks, you know, so the, with ev- everything. So what done. hours do you work with a band now? Is it, you know, till 24 hours or do you it's, do? It, it's definitely not 12 to 6. Usually, realistically, we'll start, I mean, there's but so early we can start because a band usually won't wake up in the morning. But I'd mm-hmm. say I could probably start working it from about 1 o'clock and then be done at about 3 or 4 in the morning every day. Wow. 
So that's that's a pretty standard day. Now, you know, doing film is, you know, add another 10 hours onto that. But, <laughs> but you know, it's definitely like 29-hour days when you're working on films. It's making it's making albums look like chump change now that I'm doing that and realizing that. But I'd say, yeah, probably from about 1 o'clock till 3 or 4 in the morning is a standard day. And take Sunday off and try to get it all done in four or five, maybe six weeks. Hmm. Wayman. Uh, yes, ma'am. Wayman, with all of your stories, at least the ones about Todd, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you were interviewed uh, by Paul Myers for his recent book that's about Todd working in the studio. No, I would have loved to. He didn't find you? He didn't find me. Uh, Only Rungan Radio gets scoop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a shame. I could have given him a a whole bunch of scoop, a whole bunch of dish. I'll tell you, one one experience, one, one, one extremely, extremely cool thing was in between, I think at the time, he was going, that's right, he was doing some shows with Cheap Trick, and so he had to go in the middle of, of making the record, or in the middle of that three weeks, he had to go and do a couple of shows with them. And so it was kind of cool to actually see, because he had to rehearse, and he doesn't like to rehearse, and so he would kind of, we would work on songs, and in between breaks of our songs, he would go into the tracking room to rehearse for these shows because he would just do those shows by himself. So that part was kind of was cool to see and cool to watch, and I'm sure to a fan they would just lose their minds at that kind of an opportunity. And so we ended up going down with him and then hanging out with the guys in Cheap Trick and uh, over at Roseland in New York, and it was, it was really cool stuff. I mean, that, that kind of stuff, I look back on it very, very fondly because it was a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing for any musician to be hanging around with those kind of peers. And, and I was always very impressed when he would perform, although I would have liked to have seen, I admit, I would have liked to have seen when he was fronting that whole Cars reunion with, with him as the front man. I'm sure that would have been cool. I know there was some kind of an accident or something that cut that short, but I would have been interested in seeing something like that because when he did his own solo stuff with the band, it was so good, I thought it was on tape. Wow. Truly the the Cars shows, were, we got to see a few of those, and... Elliot Easton, the guitarist, uh, broke his collarbone, and it kind of changed everything. But they were uh, fun while they lasted. Really? Yeah, they were good. Man, I would have really liked to have seen that. I'm sure that would have been fun. Yeah. And Elliot Easton is like one of my favorite guitar players ever. Right, he's great. And yeah. he, uh, he just did a gig with a super group. They called it over in the Boston area recently with Rick Derringer and Chasm Sultan and a bunch of other people. It looked like it was about 15 guys in this band. Really? Uh, charity deal but yeah he's, he still plays some he's uh he was fun to watch that's for sure him and todd jamming together it was a good little band i liked them. <laughs> i know mel liked them didn't you mel i did i liked them a lot of course yep. yeah well, well man, we got a caller i don't know i mean it could be one of these hippies from back in the day so they may cuss you they may love you i don't know but let's see uh let's let's see if we can get them on right quick i don't okay. know calling from a private number i think private number or long distance one 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 whatever you're with us Hey, Doug, it's Bob from L.A. Hey, man, what's happening? Hey, Bob. Uh, it's, oh, hello, how you doing, Mel? I'm good, Bob. This is, I, I just had to call in because I'm getting a, this is this interview is just a scream to me. I mean, I, it's, it's very interesting, first of all, Wayman, so thanks for being on. Oh, sure thing. And um, I'm sure everybody understands that um, how, whatever Todd's personality might have been on any given day or how difficult he might be on any given day, I mean, it's kind of like me learning that, which I recently learned that um, 
that Da Vinci was um, was jealous of Michelangelo. Um, that's it's sad to learn that Da Vinci is human and he's jealous of Michelangelo, just like I get jealous or irritated with my wife or anything else. However, it does not one inch take away from the greatness of da, of da Vinci, Michelangelo, Todd Rungan, or the rest of them. Right. Right. Sure thing. I mean that we, you're you're blowing on Superman's cape. I'm sure I'm sure you realize <laughs> that. But I love I love hearing these I love hearing these stories because frankly, if he if he wasn't less than perfect, if he didn't get pissed and go to the bathroom and maybe get mad at uh, Michelle now and then and do all the things that the rest of us do, I'd actually think he might be God with one D. So thank God that he that he does get pissed and short with people and all the rest of it. Let's me know that he's a a human being. But uh, and I and I guess. Since you're in the film business, and my sister's in the film business, I got to tell you that a guy who's famous for working in the film business and being fast is the great Clint Eastwood. And of course, Clint Eastwood has a has a list of movies that anyone else would be proud of. While some other director like uh, Scorsese is trying to find his coke spoon, uh, Clint Eastwood's finished two more movies. Right. So to me, you're kind. Again, I know you don't even mean it evil because I can tell it. You're just telling facts as you see them. They're not. You're not. Here to dump on Todd, you're just there telling facts sure. that that you experienced. But uh, again, to me, anything that Todd's a human being, I know, I I knew that already. And these are really interesting stories to me. And I'm not. It doesn't diminish Todd one bit in his mind any more than I hope that anybody that's listening to me is would would like me less know to know that I get upset with my wife now and then, and I can be short with my son and and all the rest of it. I'm just like any other human being, as Todd is human being. Except the difference is I haven't accomplished. One hundredth of the great things that Todd has ever done, and um, I hope that you do one hundredth of the great things that Todd's done somewhere in your life. Right. Well, I appreciate now, it. Hey, you take care. Hey, you too. Bye, bye, man. Man, cruising man. I've never heard him so fired up. Hello, <laughs> place. Yeah, are you still there? I'm still here. Well, I'm just I'm just fired up because. Uh, a lot of people in the chat room are getting really upset. I'm sure you're seeing it with the, the comments. Yeah, you got Yeah, I know. But you know, you're usually good with some questions. You don't have any questions? Well, the I, I guess the only uh, question I, I would ask uh, I would ask Wayman since since I know uh, uh, since we're being rude and off color and all the rest of it. I guess I'd ask Wayman two two things. Number one, Todd, no white man that has that thin a voice should be that good a singer, eh, Wayman? I would agree with that. I mean, the man. If you look up, if you look up singing, they should have his picture there. No white man with that thin a voice should be that good a singer. Right. He's impossible. He just he just he just defies nature. You know. And the second thing I'll have to say is 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 an, and I guess it's on the root end. When you record something as good as Bat Out of Hell and XTC and New York Dolls, to just to name three of the albums he's done. See right. the great albums he's done. Then maybe you'll have a little perspective on being in the studio with so many bands and dealing with people and stuff. But you sound like you'd have been an easy guy to get along with. I I was, and I still am. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's, when the master's in the studio, there's one way to do it, the master's way. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I still remember that when he... Uh, when we wanted to do too much more fancy stuff, and and our manager, our manager just insisted on him signing a um, an album, one of his own albums. And so when Todd signed it, he wrote, "Just remember, drums, bass, and two guitars. F the rest." 
Sounds, uh, sounds so, like a reasonable thing to write. That, that's it, where they're, that's where it all begins, and most and ninety five percent of it ends right there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Good talking to you. I, really, I don't hey, want to ramble on. Let me let somebody else go on and have something to say. All right, Bob. We'll see you, man. You guys take care. Bye bye. I think I think Bob actually has a a really good point there, uh, or maybe I'm just putting words uh, in his mouth, but it sounds to me that. You guys, you, you Wayman and Todd Rundgren, are equal um, egos. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to say this nicely, but equal right. egos, both very, very talented. And you know, maybe it's just not good to have too many talented people in one place. Probably, probably, <laughs> probably. I, I would, I could probably agree with that. Who, who else have you produced that we might have heard of? Um, I, well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question because I've got a few things that are coming out now, and I also have a few things that were sort of out of the time. I was working with a band called Nine Days. We're going to sing that song, Story of a Girl, and um, Eat Six, and I don't know, quite a few things. I might be doing some stuff with a band called Flyleaf and become really good friends with a bunch of songwriters and some people that I'm working with now that are going to be sort of doing their own thing. There's a female country artist. I'm going to be working on her record probably in about probably about five weeks from now. So it's kind of all over the map. My music is sort of all over the map. My experiences are so all over the map. And it, w- it was a weird experience of sort of that was my first foray into being a signed artist. And as a band, it was our first experience of working with a producer. And we didn't know the rules or if there were any rules or what to expect or I don't know how any of that worked. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you, I was wondering if you didn't get those faxes and things from people, if it might have been a little different. I mean, you still probably might have got, you know, angry. But, you know, having an idea that other people would experience something like it kind of, you know, justifies it a little bit more in your head that, hey, you know, I, 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 um, I'm not the only one that's kind of feeling this way. Because LeVon Helm uh, allegedly chased him around. Darren, I think it was, might have been the Run album or something. He was angry with him. And then, of course, the Andy Partridge stories are, are, oh, those are legendary. And yeah. Fee Waybill, saying, right. you know, not real happy. It's, it's, you know, you're not the only ones to experience um, that. But everybody's got different things that they all say they, they got something out of it still, some of them more than, than you and some of them less. But, uh, right. you know, it's, well, it's definitely it's, a unique experience with that way. <laughs> No, it's you know what it's. I, I wouldn't if I could go back and do it all again. I wouldn't have changed anything. You know, at the at the end of the day, we still got the record done. We still got it out and built a fan base and made some money and did what we had to do. But I think that the weird, you know, the weird side of it was just seeing, you know, seeing how it works. Where, like you said, Andy Partridge is certainly um, legendary for that kind of stuff, for these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it was interesting to. Because we, we, we heard all the stories, we listened to all this stuff, and we still just ignored them and gave everything a chance. We were like, okay, let's let's still go for it. So it was kind of funny that we became one of those stories as well. I mean, I guess that's expected. <laughs> you know, we became one of those one of those stories. Well, now you are. Now we all know. But the, um, <laughs> you know, we've had Andy Parch on here with a screen for for two hours. The guy's just insane. He was really? so much fun. But. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, some of our listeners might not know anything from that album, so let's play a clip, if you don't mind, from uh, one of your hits, I think God can explain, and then we've got a couple sure. callers we'll take, if uh, you can stick with us. Absolutely. All right, here we go. It's alright, I'm okay, I think I did 
Kuzma. <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you. Sorry, I have myself muted. <laughs> that happens to us every now and then. Uh, well, yeah, so there we go. If you haven't heard Splinter, I know you've heard that song before probably, or talking to our listeners, of course. So there you go. Um, all right, so we've got a couple more callers, and we'll tell them what that's going to be like. Let's see if we got, uh, if you don't mind, we'll take a couple more. Four, two, three. Uh, well, hold on. Uh, hmm. Let's see if we can get this worked out. Four, two, three, you're with us. Yeah. Hey, Damon. Hey there. Hey, man. I, I, I appreciate so much your honesty, and uh, this has been such an entertaining uh, interview with you. Uh, I just uh, I, I can't believe uh, the experience that you said that you saw that the Todd fans had with you. Um, I experienced a little bit of that in my days. been following him since probably about 70. And there was times, of course, he was a little offish, you know. And uh, but I tell you what, the man through his years, like myself and I guess many Todd fans, we've all matured quite a bit. And uh, he's changed quite a bit. I hope you run into him sometime soon. And uh, but I really just want to thank you for your honesty with your experience, and really enjoyed it. Doug and Mel, thanks for having him on. Good. This is great. I got the. Uh, Got to buy one of their CDs. I don't have any of their stuff, so thanks a lot. Appreciate it. That was a good one. We just played a little bit from the first one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I recognized recognized it. And and uh, you know what? I'm hoping – I'm actually going to find this footage because I think all the fans, the Todd fans, they would would just appreciate that. One of the the craziest fights that took place in the studio was at the time – before our record came out, they were working on this movie called Armageddon, which, of course, everybody knows now, and the huge Aerosmith song from it. And um, so because it was, a Colum- it was a Sony picture, and Columbia was doing the soundtrack, so it was almost a guaranteed in that we were going to be able to record this song and get it on the soundtrack. And, and it's because we had a song called, again, the same song called Space Boy, which they wanted to use for the movie. So there's this great footage. We took hidden footage that must have gone on for about an hour. And it shows our A&R guy walking into the studio, coming into the, <laughs> coming into the control room and sitting down with the whole band, himself and Todd. And he's giving us the pitch. There's this movie. I just saw a rough cut of it. It's going to be huge. It's called Armageddon. And it's about this whole thing in space. And they want to use your song Space Boy to be one of the main tracks on it. And um, Liv Tyler's in it. And so is Steven Tyler, because I, I just came from the studio. And you've got to hear this song. It is a number one hit, this I Don't Want to Miss a Thing song. And you see Todd just sitting there, and he's biting his nails, and he's just getting angry. Mm. And so... <laughs> And the band is saying nothing. We're just sitting there quiet with the camera rolling. And to this day, I don't think they know that the camera was rolling, that we taped all of this, this whole conversation. And you just, it was just the most funniest hour of entertainment between Todd fighting with our label. Because Todd's, so Todd hears the pitch, and his his leg is shaking, and he turns to the A&R guy, and he goes, how do you know that movie's going to be a hit? And he's like, <laughs> And so he goes, well, because I, I just saw it. We're, putting a, a, we're pumping a ton of money into this. The soundtrack is huge. The, I'm telling you, Aerosmith, has, he, on the tape, he's like, Aerosmith have written their first number one hit. I'm telling you. It's a ballad. It's incredible. And then he looks at us and he goes, who listens to these label guys? Do you guys listen to these label guys? Who listens to them? 
<laughs> and, and, and so you hear, you know, the bass player is like, well, Todd, maybe you should just, maybe you should listen to him and hear what he has to say. He says, well, here's what I have to say. No. Wow. And so, and so the you know, guy's getting pissed. He's like, you don't understand. This is a massive opportunity for the band, for the label, for me, for you. There will be a ton of money involved in this, a ton of exposure involved in this. They even want this song to possibly be the second single. And he just looks at him again and says, no. <laughs> and you got all this on video. All on video. For an so hour. what ended up happening? Did it make it? Well, what ended up happening was that Todd got his way. We didn't do it because what it meant, um, in order to finish the song, we had to f- we had to record that song out of sequence. We'd have to do it first, finish it, mix it, get it to the label so they could use it for the movie, then start the rest of the rest of the record. But Todd said, "No, there's no guarantee that this movie is going to be a hit, and I'm sticking to my own plan." And so, because one of the things I admit, I admit, although I could still kill him for this, but I admit that I do, one of the things I, you know, I did take away from this is that he likes to find the center of an album. So he'll listen to all the songs. At the time, we probably had 60 songs ready for this record in order to choose a, a 12 or 13 to be on them. And what he, what he did, which is something, an expression that I use and that I do, I admit I took with this for the rest of my life, was he said he wants to find the center of the record. So we would take a song. So for us, we have on our record, we have a song called Monotone. And Monotone became the center of the record, where everything he wanted to do was either going to be to the left of Monotone or to the right of Monotone. But that would be the center sound of the record. So we would never be able to get too far away from the sound in either direction, whether it was too rock, too pop, too hip-hop, too anything, keep the center of the record. That's a trick and something I always do right now to this very day. But he kept talking about this on tape, about you, you're, you're ruining my design, and I've, I've got the center of this record, and there's nothing you say that's going to change my mind for some movie that's going to bomb in six weeks. And so in the end, we didn't get it on, we didn't record the song, because Todd made the call to say no. <laughs> So, so, <laughs> You're making it sound so, like he's British. <laughs> well, then we had this. Well, then we had this uh, this this discussion afterwards, and it was a very odd and interesting conversation because when when the label guy left, and you can imagine, you could you could hear to this day, you can still hear the fumes on his breath when he walked out of the studio. But he looked at us and he said, "Do you want to be known for a song from this movie?" And so I looked at him and I said, well, Todd, you're known for banging on the drum all day at sporting events. <laughs> oh, right? I didn't like that too much. And he go, and no, actually, he, he laughed and he said, uh, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and he, because, but you don't so want Did that. you guys fight? Did you want to be on the movie? Did you try to say, look, we want well, to be we, part we of this were, movie? The, the band itself was too confused. And that, like we were just we were just in there as the beginning process. We were there maybe the third day of being in the studio, and we we was just too we were just too we just didn't we just didn't know we didn't know how all of this worked. So we just sat quiet as the video shows. We just sat very quiet and listened to this fight as it build and build and build and build until it exploded and imploded, and our label guy ran out. And so we just sat there and listened. 
But when he did say that, that's what the rebuttal was. I said, but you were banging on the drum and making all kinds of money from what you said from a sporting event. Mm-hmm. And that was his reaction. He kind of was stumped and said, yeah, but you don't want that for you. Yeah. So okay why do you, for me, ultimately, you don't want that now that you. looking back, why do you think he didn't want that to be part of the movie? Uh, because if, if you want my honest answer, it would have meant extra work. Oh. Wow. <laughs> because we were, you know, it, it is true when you record a record, you typically you'll do all the drums and all the bass and you kind of layer things and then you just mix everything at the end, probably mix one song a day. So if you got to do everything at the beginning, everything at the end, and then mix it out of term, it does mean more work. It does mean more time to sort of finish one song and then start the rest. So that's really what it came down to. But his arguments in it were just hilarious about the the movie being nothing and Aerosmith. How do we know anything about they? They haven't put out anything that's sold. It was it was a really, I mean, it's gold. The, the tape is gold. It's a movie. Gold, a YouTube gold. <laughs> well, now if it would if you would have made the movie, if you would have, if the song would have made, I mean, would it have been? Uh, a financial windfall, like the guy said, for you and Todd. Oh, everybody? absolutely, no question, yeah. no question. Yeah, the movie, the wow. movie was enormous. Mm-hmm. The single was ginormous, and everything to do with the tie-in of Liv Tyler making a movie and the DVD sales. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that the what people don't know about the music business is that in general you make more money from your music being in placements than you just sure. do from it being on the radio. Right. You know, I mean, even in Splendor, I made more money, not just from it being on the radio, I made more money by our music being in 24 and, uh, you know, uh, CSI and Cold Case Files. That pays even more than than it being on the radio. So, yeah, yeah well, it would have been a humongous windfall for everybody involved, wow. really, including Todd. But that's... I mean, Stop Tuny sounds like, you know, and it's for our listeners, you know, Todd just uh, is about to come out with an album that's Todd... Uh, Robert Johnson covers. Okay, yep. People can't figure out why, and a lot of it, from my understanding, has to do with the record company that owns the rights to that music mm-hmm. believes that that's exactly what's going to happen, is that you know they'll be able to take these songs and, and get those kind of spots like you're talking about where the money really is, not necessarily from the from the, uh, from the the album sales that will come oh, up. Oh, I see. And you know, these type of things, yeah, because right. the, Robert Johnson's, you know, pretty well known, and, and the music's, you know, Good for that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why they wouldn't do that. Yeah, well, I would think also. I mean, at the same time, Todd can also sing the hell out of it. Yeah, (laughs) good. good. He does a good job with it. He'll be able to, you know, he he just he'll sing it into the ground. Mm -hmm. So that I think that part of I think that part of things is really there's nothing that the guy can't sing. Sort of like Bob had said earlier. I mean, the guy's got an amazing vocal. I mean, he's the inspiration for Prince. You know, to to be a one man show, and he's the first guy to play every instrument and do all of that kind of stuff. But I, I think most likely, more than not, you're right. You're the, if they own the rights to it, there's all these other, especially like we were talking about before in today's day and age, and the way that the whole music business is structured. You know, it was a bad thing not too long ago if you did a Reebok commercial or a Sprite commercial, and now it's just part. It's just it's expected. Yeah, well, some of you the know, guys were in Todd's, one of his earlier utopias, you know, Ralph Shuckett, John Seeger, you know, great musicians, are, they, they make their living doing stuff like Pokemon, you know, these right. types of things, commercial jingles. That's where mm-hmm. uh, I think Jenny Mull there, uh, one of our guests, was telling the same thing. You know, that's where, um, I think it was her. We had somebody that said that's pretty much where they, you know, 
The other stuff they do is more for fun. <laughs> right. The money they make in the commercials and jingles and that type of stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It, it really is. It's it's a scary thing. So yeah, that that to answer your question, that would have been a huge payday for everybody. Mm, that's, that's too bad, man. Well, maybe you could be retired now. Which is <laughs> it'd be kind of boring, though, right? That'd be very boring. That'd be Sounds very like you're having some fun with the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. No, it's, but, you um, know what? It's it, all of it. At the end of the day, I mean, the whole experience of the whole run run thing was something I would never change. It's something that I definitely learned a ton from, just learned everything I know from that one experience. Everything good, everything bad, everything in between, it was just something I had, you know, it was a brand new life experience to, to really learn from and go, okay, how do we make this better? And then, and then plus, plus it was cool because at least I'm, he and I made amends after the fact about all that had gone on. <laughs> And I kind of did make a joke to him that I would be another one of those stories in his book, that, on the books written about him, <laughs> you know. You got to make some tricks, you know, hang out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which done. is, exactly, that's exactly right. So yeah. well, at the end of the day, and, and you know, and now, he, I, know, I don't know how much he's, I mean, I know he was so much into the whole multimedia thing. So for me, it's kind of cool, full circle. Now that I'm directing and doing all of this kind of multimedia kind of stuff myself, it's I, yeah. I can relate to it a lot a lot more. I mean, I remember the show that we went to see in Long Island where he was playing was just him and a TV, and <laughs> you know, it, was cool. just, it was just bizarre yeah. but awesome. You know, it was just it was very strange and very cool. And I, you know, as a performer, as a singer, as a musician, you know, it was. It, it, one of the things that I was able to, that I do now, that I remember very, very specifically, being in, in Woodstock and being in the studio, and we had, the, the, there was one song that he actually truly did help us with, which was the first song, this song I'd call I Don't, I Don't Understand, where we, we had a chorus and he wasn't exactly sure, and it was, it was a very cool thing for your producer to just pick up the guitar and go, well, what about this, and then sing it. You know, which you just take for granted. It's something I do now myself mm -hmm. or have always done, but it's, you take that for granted to go, that's actually a very cool thing because I've, I've been, I have enough friends that are producers and they don't play instruments and their dialogue is really strange because I don't really know how you communicate with a guitar player if you don't play guitar. I mean, right. people do it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Rick Rubin's one of the most famous producers on earth who doesn't play an instrument. It's done every day. I just don't, can't relate to how you can do that and not know the instrument at all. But I think, you know, when, when uh, I remember when he and I w were talking and at the beginning and everything was really cool and, and I was saying, so what was it like playing all of these instruments? And he goes, ah, it was all good except for the damn drums. <laughs> <laughs> it was all great, just the damn drums. I just got so fed up of beating on those drums and getting splinters on my hands to then play guitar with. Mm. Like if I could just settle with the settle out of the drums, I'd be happy with everything. Really else. doesn't want to bang the drums all day. Doesn't want to bang the drum all day. No. <laughs> but you know, one day we may have a guest on the show going. That I got to tell y'all a story about this Wayman guy that produced my album. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I have no oh. doubt. But I promise you, the one thing that they will say that they will not be able to say is, well, he didn't give us any time to sing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he did nice. look at us during the thing. Is there anything on the album uh, was uh, Todd recorded doing uh, guitar or backing vocals or anything, or was he? No, I mean, like, did he actually play guitar or sing on the record? Right. No, he he didn't. 
Oh. We actually wanted him to because we wanted him. There's there's one song on our record. The very last song is a song called London that has all kinds of crazy background vocals, and it's probably like a seven-minute song. And we wanted to get him on. We, when we first talked about the project, we were like, we want you to sing on this, and he was totally into it. He said he, he, said he wouldn't mind singing and playing piano on any of the stuff. We just didn't have any piano on our record, and then we never – we sent him away before we ever got to that that song. Got to that song. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> so we <laughs> – All right, so well, we, we got another call, and we'll ask you a little bit more about this 100,000 uh, record goal mess. I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, oh, one, you're with us. 201? Yes. Hi, guys. It's uh, Doug Kennedy calling. Hey, hey Doug. Doug. Hi, everyone. Hey, Wayman, a huge fan of Splendor. Well, thank you. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I just, I've always wanted to ask you this. I've listened and listened for years to these two records, and I really love them. And my favorite song is the, the last song on your second album, uh, which is called To Whom It May Concern, which is called Good Evening. Good Evening. Okay. And I, I really, you know, it's one of these, it's one of these instances where I, I, the song just like hits me like a brick emotionally, but I don't exactly, it sounds crazy, but I don't exactly know what the lyrics are supposed to literally mean, yet they somehow hit me emotionally. And I'm just curious if you could possibly uh, just talk about that song, Good Evening, and, and what, what maybe, you know, was in your mind when, when you wrote that. Well, I think at the... Uh, at the time, we, Splendor itself was imploding. When we were making that record, we were fighting all the time. We were having money issues all the time. I think there was too much pressure on us to have this brand-new record deal with Clive Davis and all of this money and all of these things, and we're all poor kids from the Bronx and Queens and didn't know how to handle all of it. And as the lead singer, there, a lot of the anger, as most lead singers will get a lot of the anger gets directed towards the, the front guy or towards the leader at least whoever the leader is whether it's a guitar whether it's Lars from Metallica or whoever it was so I wrote that song as almost a I, I wrote it almost as a um, as like being my own human dartboard for all of the anger I pretty much was was sort of explaining the, the lyric says, hello and, you know, welcome to our show. And the, the whole idea was just sort of like, welcome to my life. This is what I'm going through right now while I sit here, because I was actually sitting writing the song while a fight had broken out. And so, when, and all the anger was being directed at me at the time, mostly things that we could have all changed and mostly money money fights as as it always does. So I made myself a human dartboard. So I think a lot of the, the lyrics was just explaining um, who I was. My belief system doesn't matter right now. I'm going to have to just take the, the blame for all the problems that we have. It was almost like saying, welcome to my life. Because there's wow. a lot of the lyrics are saying that I believe in all of these different things, but none of this matters right now. I'm still... Uh, you know, I still I'm still a lesser person right now. Are you a father by any chance? I'm not. Okay, because I line pretty pink water slides. I always wondered what that meant. It, okay, so that's something that I wouldn't actually be able to say on the radio. So you oh. should probably be able to figure that out by. I won't listen. Oh, yes. actually, we're not we're not SEC regulated on internet radio. You say whatever you want. Okay, oh, never I mind. I get it. <laughs> you, now you get it. I get it. <laughs> 
anyway, that song really packs a wallop, and I, I always wanted to. Uh, I always hoped I could tell you that sometime that that song. Well, you, every, know, you know, I always I listen to that song when I really need to get something out of myself. You know, like wow. when I'm really hung up, and uh, it's a really powerful song, and I, I always wanted to tell you that. I, you know what? I really appreciate that because that's actually my favorite song on that record, and it took a long time to record, and it took a long time to kind of come together. But it was, uh, I really appreciate it, because that's one of my favorite I, tracks. You know what, are there, like, it sounds like, and just one more little tie-in question, sure. it sounds like there's so many guitar tracks on there, like, not just the main guitars, but like little incidents that kind of come yes. in and out of the song, and I noticed that in a lot of the Splendor stuff, Yes. and I, that's one of my favorite things about Splendor, is that there's just these little events, that, like guitar right. events, that kind of well, come in and out, and they don't necessarily happen more than once. And more than once, yeah. That, well, we were very fortunate of having a great guitar player, Jonathan Speck, who's an, an awesome, awesome, awesome guitar player, and a very creative individual. And so that was sort of the thing that we would do a lot. We, he would just want to, actually it's a great way of putting it, just sort of create events that happen once but not twice. Yeah. And with a lot of guitars, because one of the beauties for the recordings, one of the things that sucked in real life but was great for the <laughs> recordings was that Jonathan was absolutely unhappy all the time with his equipment. I mean, it, he was a... I mean, any guitar player out there listening would, would 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 slit his throat to think about the amount of guitars, the amount of amplifiers, the amount of endorsements. Nothing made him happy. Nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing made him happy. So the uh -huh. beauty of it was when we would record these records, he would work with this guitar and work with this amp and then not like it and then go to something else and then go to something else and something else. So it layered a lot of really beautiful stuff uh, from his unhappiness with the, with the equipment. Was it difficult so, to reproduce a lot of that stuff live? It, you know what? It was. It was because we never played the tracks. We never had it. You know, we, we never had a Pro Tools machine or a computer running any tracks. So it was difficult to get some of that stuff. He was really. He was great at reproducing a lot of it, but some of it still fell by the wayside. Especially since we tried so much to keep manipulating his his twelve string Rickenbacker to kind of, that's uh, the Rickenbacker sort of, you know, the theme of God Can Explain, but it's also a lot used within that, um, within, the, within the tones of stuff to not sound like a Rickenbacker. So that took a little bit of time because Rickenbackers are not necessarily the best live guitar. So we'd have to find other ways to, lots of pedals and lots of pedal work to try to do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Now, I, uh, last question. Uh, yeah, other, I, I, you know, I imagine or I have these dreams that there's all these great Splendor songs like sitting in your room on a on a DVD-R that none of us are ever going to hear. Right. Are, do they exist, and is there any chance in hell we'll ever hear them? They do, and possibly. It's a good old, uh, one of my favorite songs ever is um, Spy Bjork called Possibly Maybe. And <laughs> You're it, right. It's a Possibly Maybe. The answer is yes, because we actually started to record new Splendor material. Um, so we ended up doing some songs. Um, some of them were really strong, really good, good, really good stuff. So it's possible. I mean, it's funny. The bass player, James and I, we, we didn't speak for many years, and then we, we've been talking quite a bit, and we talked maybe as little as a week ago. And just seeing where things are at. So you, know, you never know. The, 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 it's possible. It's possible. Okay, but there we'll definitely keep, we'll, we'll keep our fingers some, crossed. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. There's definitely some a bunch of CDs worth of really good good stuff. Awesome. Well, listen, man. Thanks so much, and uh, 
I'll continue listening, and uh, this was one of the best, I think, interviews on Rundgren Radio. So thank you very much. <laughs> I, really I, I mean it. it. This is great. The, the, uh, the candor, everything. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, mate. Take care. See you, Doug. Thanks, Doug. It was good seeing you in Philadelphia. Philly. Philly town. Yeah. Great place. So, hey, uh, Be- uh, Wayman. Uh, yes. Doug. The co-host on here, the, that mm-hmm. that weird accent that you can hear, uh-huh. is from Birmingham, Alabama, and I noticed today <laughs> that there was a connection between Splendor and Birmingham, Alabama, with a charity album. Do you recall what the story was about that? Oh wow! Mm. I I you know what I can't I remember doing it, and I don't remember the story now. Uh-huh. I don't remember how that came to be. Well, I'll give you the cliff notes. Apparently, the song Yeah, Whatever mm-hmm. appeared on a charity album for the uh, United Cerebral Palsy of Greater Birmingham. Okay. So somebody in the band must have had a... Or they stole it. Or they <laughs> well, stole they... it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, know. I, you know what? I, I actually genuinely do not remember. I remember getting a copy of the actual album... And I remember, because we went there many times to play. I mean, geez, we went there more more times than not to, to play Texas and Alabama. I mean, the, the Alabama, all, all those kind of places, we went quite a few times. We never went to the, you know, we, we always repeated, were repeat offenders in every city. But that one I don't remember. I genuinely don't. I think I may have found that on the Wikipedia, so who knows? Uh, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's true because I I know I physically had the record. I just don't remember how we came to do that. Uh, hey, somebody in the chat room, one of our musicians, wants to know what you think about the Line Six. The Line Six is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I still I still religiously um for those who don't know what it is a line 6 is a little it looks like a little kidney bean and it's usually bright red and it's a guitar simulator so you plug your guitar into it and make it sound like whatever amp you want it to sound like and then that's how you record it we use the line 6 all the time um in splendor we used it all the time in i would say almost every record that i do we did this um this great band called Planet of the Stereos that are from Australia and I introduced, introduced them to the pod and we used the hell out of it. So if you have the opportunity to get one, definitely get one. And I'm I still use the two point little kidney bean one, not the expensive rack one. So thumbs up for the for the pod. Planet of the Stereos? Planet of the Stereos, yeah, there, there's a there's a great mixer named Mike Shipley. And Mike um, mixed all of the Splendor records, and he mixed my other band called Head Rush, and he's mixed everyone from Shania Twain and Def Leppard to Maroon 5 and Aerosmith. And so he and I are very, very good friends, and we started a production company together, and we started to do some records together, and one of them was this band from Australia called Planet of the Stereos. So it was a very interesting experience because I also have a my my life story is that I was born in New York I was educated in Montreal Canada and then moved back to New York so I was born in the Bronx went to Montreal then ended up back in Queens so go figure and <laughs> so we I have a house uh, up in Montreal and so I had volunteered I said hey why don't we bring the band to this, to this house so that's how all my studio became such a portable studio. So Mike flew up from L.A. 
and I came up from New York, and we brought the band from Australia up there, and it was it was it was hectic, but it was it was good. It was a good. I think the accents alone made it fun, but they were a good group of guys, and we had fun doing it, and it was it was a lot of work. Again, a big learning experience, and and so that's how that kind of came to be. But yeah, that's their odd name is called Planet of the Stereos. That's a cool name. Though. I kind of like that. Yeah, right. It is. I guess for a Bronx, Canada kid coming to Nashville is a little bit different for you, huh? It. It. Well, you know what? I think I still think the strangest, um, the coolest and strangest place that I've ever been was in Ireland. I mean, I've I've had the good fortune with Splendor to we literally went around the world multiple times. It's not a state or a country, except for Japan. I haven't been to Japan, but we've been just about everywhere else. So, yeah, coming to Tennessee or coming to Nashville wasn't that crazy, especially since you've got such awesome guitar shops out there to yeah. to do this. I think for me, out of all the places I've ever been, Ireland was the one place that affected me the most because I'm a big water guy. I'm a big grass and green guy. I'm not a hippie guy, but I'm, I'm still down with it. <laughs> and, and so we were... I was sitting on this park bench in Ireland, and we were playing with U2. And it was just the most incredible experience for me to just sit on this park bench and look out over the green, and just it's something I'll never forget as long as I live. So that's nothing compared to uh, – so, so so Nashville would be a, a breeze compared to that. A breeze of Ireland, you know. Although, although I will tell you, one of my coolest Nashville stories – is that a friend of mine who was in this uh, in this other band was recording an album out in Nashville last year, and he called me on his phone. I'm like, "Hey man, how you doing?" He's like, "Good." He goes, "Guess who? Guess where I am?" I was like, "Where, where are you?" He's like, "I'm in Nashville," and I was like, "Cool." He's like, "Yeah, I got a brand new band. We're in the studio and we're doing a record." And I said, "Oh, are you like naively?" I said, "Oh, is this like a country record?" And he's like, "No, no, no. It's a rock band, but I'm working with Joe Don from Rascal Flatts." And ah. one of the three guys around the flats, and I said, I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, how is it? And he goes, well, the cool thing is, is that we're sitting in a diner right now, and we're talking about our favorite bands, and Joe just asked me if I'd ever heard of this band called Splendor, because it's one of his favorite records. Wow. And so, and I was like, okay, that's good. He's like, and he wants to talk to you right now. <laughs> and so sure enough, Joe got on the phone. He's like, hey, how you doing? He's the coolest guy. And he invited me to come up to write some songs with them or hang out at the studio. I still plan to. I still haven't yet, but I still plan to. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, cool. that's one of my funnest Nashville stories yet. Because I said to him, I was like, how in the world would you know like a rock band kind of thing? He's like, well, I think he said he was originally from Ohio and that that's, he was a rock guy, you know, and loves country, but that's where his roots had started in, in rock. And so I was like, oh, very, it, was just, it was just a cool, fun thing for me. Yeah, well, now, have you ever been to the Bluebird Cafe over there? Of course. Yeah, isn't that nice? That's great. It's awesome. Have yeah, you got to perform there? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah wow. absolutely. Very nice. Yeah, it's a great it's a great place. It's, you know, I love I love the town. I love the fact that there's so much music and I love the fact that I've I have friends that just I keep losing friends that move that move down there. And the coolest thing um which I may have said earlier, I have a manager Renee that's out in out in Long Island. And uh, he called me today and said, "Hey, I think um, I think you're going to be going to Nashville for about a month to record a band." And he's like, "I can't give you the details yet, but sometime in October, at the end of October, you're probably going to have to go out there and and record this band." And I was like, "Oh, cool! Get an excuse to come on back." 
Because that was the beauty. I mean, that was really, even though it's fast-paced and it's hard to see everything because it's, it's a big blur, it was one of the, you know, most people in their lifetime, unless you're a trucker, most people in your <laughs> lifetime, you don't get a chance to see all of America, let alone all of America, all of Canada, and all of the world, really. And it's, it's. I think that's part of the the interesting part about being a musician is that you just think, Jesus, I strum this guitar and now I'm in France. Yeah, it's a bit of a mind melt, I have to say, but a good one when you can, when you can achieve it or when you can do it. Mm-hmm. So I, I highly recommend, unlike my mom did to me, I highly recommend it to anyone else. Follow your dreams if that's what you really believe in. Just get her done. Musicians <laughs> have that story. You know, their parents are like, no, and actors and actresses as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, well, we know that you're, that you're a really, really busy guy, and you're producing and managing and directing and all this stuff. But do you you still write music? Yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 sort of something that I. It's it may sound strange, but because that's what I do, I rarely ever talk about it because that's just sort of what I. <laughs> it's just sort of what I do. So. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a bunch of writing sessions with some artists now, and and I'm expected with this with this band that I can't talk about from Nashville. I'm going to be writing with them. So yeah, as a songwriter, that's always my thing, my sort of one o one o one kind of thing. Is that that's that's what I do best, I suppose, and that's what I certainly what I do the most. And and I, and it's good too because even as a here's here's another cute thing is that the fact that I've now become a director. I also get a chance to put music in stuff now, which is great. So, you know, we're putting music, getting ready when we shoot this movie. We're kind of getting collecting songs and getting things ready right now. And I get to be the boss and say who gets on and who doesn't. So, conveniently, I can put a bunch of mine on. Well, <laughs> well if, you, if you need a couple of if you need a couple of southern internet radio hosts to be in your movie, we're available. <laughs> okay. Well, I definitely want Very to plug southern. Plug one of them because there's there's a great movie. That, and speaking of having the music in, there's a great movie that um, it's almost finished. I know it's in for Sundance, but it's called A Guy Called Dad. That's the name of the movie. So anyone listening can look it up. It's called A Guy Called Dad, and it's a friend of mine. She did a documentary about her father, and her father lives. In, she lives in L.A. Her father lives in Florida, and he is a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and virtually living homeless and her mom is a therapist so figure that life out so it's a, and so this she actually had called me so a bunch of my music and stuff is in this film as well so it's not done but i know that the website and i think the trailer and all that stuff is up but it's called a guy called dad let's check it out yeah definitely check it out right, well, and absolutely got... anyone listening feel free to go to to boondockfilms.com that's nice. films with an s to see my own directing site. All right. I got two things for you, and then Mel can take over. I had, um, if you go to Bluebird Mm -hmm. and you're going to perform while you're there, let us know, because I'm only three hours from there, and I know Cruiser Milk and Southwest it. Love that place. (laughs) And then our resident musician, Brian Grace, has this joke where he says, um, his mom says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be a musician. And she says, well, you can't be both. No. <laughs> Crazy man, you're supposed to laugh with me. I, I don't. I'm not do. sure I get it. Right. I got, I got, I got, 
I seriously got the reference uh, about the pink water slide <laughs> really quick. You got that quick, though. Yeah, she picked up on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't be both. Right. All right, Doug, you can call uh, me after the show and explain it to me later. Well, I think he's trying to say you can't be grown up and be a musician. Yeah, you can't be grown up. Oh, when you're grown up. Okay. All right, I get it. That's funny. All right, so I'll try one more for you, see if Mel can get this one. This one, one that's speaking of the cars, Greg Hawks told me this. A musician wins the $5 million lottery, and he's on TV, and they say, what are you going to do with your money? He says, I'm going to keep gigging until it's all gone. Nobody gets it. Boom, boom. Nobody gets it. Right. I, thought, <laughs> I got it at the uh, time that he told it. It's the li- that's the life of half of my friends. There, you got it. See, he knows what I'm talking about. Very good. <laughs> All right, good deal. Hey, I really enjoyed um, talking to you tonight. It was fun. You were great. Hey, I was very happy to be a part of it. Sorry it took you guys so long to get me on it. <laughs> <laughs> Wayman, anytime you want to come on, you're welcome. I much appreciate it. Great. Thank you so right. much. Hey, you guys too. Have a beautiful night. Thanks, Thank you. Too. <laughs> All right, take it easy. Bye. All right, so, Cruz, let's finish with this song we put up here, a little Yeah, Whatever from Splendor. What do you say? Excellent. I was hoping we would have time to play a whole song. Yep. Well, we're going to get most of it in, then it will go into archives. But uh, we'll see you all next week. You know the time, 830, every Tuesday. Take radio. care, y'all. All right, thanks.
everybody. This is Todd Rundgren, and you're listening to RundgrenRadio.com. You are the crown of the crown, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for your support. 